Well, it's so good to be here this morning. Um, the Bible College has been, our staff has been praying for this church and the Salvato family because Tony was a student of ours, and so it's been a tough week for us just praying and processing all this. We know how hard it's been for you guys as well, and it was a beautiful uh, service yesterday. I was in the overflow room because it was just packed, the whole, the whole building, the whole facility was just here with people that had been touched by Tony's life. I had a chance to talk to his parents after our last service, and they were reminding me about how... Um, Tony would come over to my house and steal my cereal. And they were always like, you can't do that. It's going to be offensive. You know, I'm like, no, it was fine. <laughs> he wanted my cereal. That's okay. And um, so it's been a blessing to know him. Can't wait to see him again. And um, we're going we're gonna to talk about serving grace today. Serving grace. Because if you're taking notes, the title of this sermon is After Saving Grace Comes Serving Grace. Because it's true, we all understand grace, uh, it's only by grace that we're saved, through faith, right? It's by grace we're saved. But then immediately, we are given serving grace because we are saved into a body of Christ that still has needs. We're still human, right? We still struggle, and so we have needs. But also, the world and the community around us doesn't know Jesus, right? And so, they, they need to hear about him just like we heard about him. And so... Today we're going to talk about saving grace. Let me pray and then we'll, we'll get into it. You can turn to Galatians chapter 1, but we're going to be all over uh, the Bible. Father, we commit this time to you and we ask that you would teach us. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you uh, teach us as we examine your scriptures and speak to our hearts. And we want to hear and be uh, empowered and encouraged to do something for you, Lord. Uh, Lord, not to earn anything from you. You're not going to love us more if we serve you well. It has nothing to do with getting into heaven But boy, have you served us, and we're part of uh, of your family, and so we want to respond to all of your goodness. And so would you teach us, and would you help us to be doers of the word and not hearers only? So we commit this time to you in Jesus' name, amen. So we are saved by grace, but then we don't just wait around for our trip to heaven because of all the needs that I just talked about. There's a lot of work to be done in the body and in the world, and we can't forget that grace is an active attribute of God. It describes him powering us for his mission, because there is a mission, right? The mission wasn't for us to get saved, right, but for the world to know about Jesus. And so we see these kinds of radical transformations where people are saved by grace, but then their life changes and they begin to serve in such an amazing way that, that people take notice. And so I'm going to share with you a story that uh, kind of just sums all that up. And as I do, I want you to think about those people in your life that, that they have been so radically transformed that it stirs you to what God can do. For me personally, um, the biggest thug in my high school that there was no hope for, one of the only people in life to ever punch me in the face, um, he got saved, right? He, all of a sudden he calls me, I'm in youth ministry, and he calls me and he says, hey, can I come visit your youth group? And I said, no. I love my youth group. Why would I ever let you come to the youth? You pun- the last time we talked, you punched me. What we- why are you calling me? Oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you. I got saved. I believe in Jesus. I said, what are you talking? That's not possible. It's not possible. What are you talking about? And uh, he's like, yeah, and I want to serve in youth ministry. And I'm like, I just need a few minutes to th- process all this, okay? And, um, and sure enough, it's been well over a decade since that moment. Consistently, he has loved Jesus and served Jesus the rest of, of his life so far. I can't believe it. 
I, apparently I think too highly of myself and too poorly of other people, but I just couldn't believe it. So from that moment forward, I realized there is hope for anyone because God has already saved the worst person on the planet. <laughs> me, 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 right? And him, me and him. But, but here's, here's a story I'm talking about, a, about a wild conversion. It was a, a drunk man that was converted at a downtown mission. His name was Joe. Prior to his conversion, he was just known as a wild, rebellious drunk. And everyone thought there was no hope. But then he found Christ and everything changed. And he went from self-indulgent to self-sacrificing. Day and night, he served at the mission and he would do whatever was needed. So he would clean the bathrooms. He would clean up messes when people got sick. He would feed people. Anything that was needed, he would do it. One night, the uh, director came forward for, the, for the, just the daily evang- evangelistic message. And I know how difficult these messages are to preach. I, I preached one at the Bowery Homeless Shelter in New York City. The, the messages, the chapels, are connected to the free food. And so everyone has to be there. And so that's great. But the only thing they need to do is attend. And so literally, they're just laying in the rows, sleeping, while I'm trying to preach the gospel, thank God there was one person nodding their head. I was just able to focus on that one person uh, doing that. This is a very difficult place to preach the gospel. So this director is preaching his evangelistic message, and a man comes down front weeping and wailing, begging God to change him. And he begins to shout, oh, God, make me like Joe, make me like Joe. And the director kneels down and says, did, did you mean make me like Jesus? And he goes, well, is Jesus anything like Joe? Right? Because... Because Joe's, I, I've never seen such a transformation. And it just reminds us that the gospel is powerful to save, to transform, and then to empower us to serve. And when people began to see consistent service in this person's life, they realized this isn't, wasn't an emotional decision. This wasn't a fad. This was life-changing. Tra- and so after saving grace comes serving grace. That's the main thing I want us to think about today. And so we're going to talk about why would we serve, and we're going to realize it's because of grace. And then we're going to talk about, well, how do we go about serving? And that is by God's grace we do that. So if you're taking notes, there's two major sections we're going to be talking about. The first right now, why would we serve, right? Why would we serve? And we're going to see through four different passages We serve because of God's grace. It's in response to what God is doing and giving to us that we choose to serve. So the first point, if you're taking notes, is serving others has always been God's plan for us. That's why we serve. It's always been God's plan for us. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 1. God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him, right? it was the, one of the reasons why, why Paul was called. At, at Paul's conversion, he was also commissioned, right? And so this grace that saved also is a grace that wants to empower us. Just think in Acts chapter 9 of Paul's conversion on the Damascus Road. Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul asked, well, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, who are, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up Stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and what you will see of me. I am sending you. Literally in the same sentences of Paul's conversion, he is then commissioned to serve the Lord. And so we have to ask ourselves, wait, is that, is that true of me also? Yeah. The moment we were saved, God also is calling us to a lifetime of service Right, right now, we just got to kind of get out of the way. We're not talking about vocational ministry here to where very few are called. And it's not, it's not like the top. 
and every, it's, no, we're all called to ministry, and vocational ministry is a part of it. It's not, it's not the top. And so we need to stop thinking about letting the professionals handle or anything like that. The body of Christ is to be equipped to serve the saints. Every person in here um, should have a heart to serve the Lord here. And so, yeah, as we were called, we were also commissioned as well. We see that in Ephesians 2.10, where we're told that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance that we would do them. And so even before, just like we were chosen before the foundation of the world, we were also, you know, God planned these good works for us to walk in. And so if God's got these good works for us to walk in, but then we're, we're over here kind of doing our own thing, we're not going to be satisfied, right? We have to align our plan for life to God's plan for life if we're going to make that puzzle fit. And so first, serving others has always been a part of God's plan. And second, serving others is one of the ways that we prove that we actually are a part of God's family. It's a proving evidence that we have been saved if we would do this. The motivation to serve lies in the very reason that God has chosen me, right? God dwells inside of me, right? And and when we realize, man, I can't believe I'm a part of the team. (laughs) I'm a part of God's family, and we have a thankful heart to serve because of that. One writer wrote it like this. The genuine grace of God will produce in us the desire, ability, and strength to serve God in his world and church. If we do not demonstrate this service in our lives, we lack evidence that we have really received the grace of God. And so we're we're brought into a family where our Father in heaven has proven his missionary heart, right? His serving heart. And the gospel's been proclaimed to us by a servant, and now we must then proclaim the gospel to others. And the body has needs that we need to, to serve as well. We're also a part of a kingdom, right? We're on God's team. And, and one day in the future, you know, Revelation 5 and 20 show us that we are going to, as believers, rule and reign with Christ in the millennial kingdom. Well, that then king of kings is our king now. And so we kind of bring about that kingdom as we serve him and obey him and bring his will on this earth. We're told this in Hebrews 12, 28. It says, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken... Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Right? We need grace to even have a chance of serving God acceptably. Because right? there's all kinds of ways to serve God inappropriately. Right? We do it with the wrong motives. We do it to impress people. Uh, you know, we do it to be seen for, for money. All, all different kinds of reasons. So we need grace if we're going to serve God. But we've been called to his team. Right? That verse we've talked about. We are his workmanship. Only those that are, that are created anew in Christ Jesus can serve him. So yeah, God can use animals and, and unbelievers, but he wants to use his children. He wants to, to change us and transform us and use us. You could say it's a family business. Now that means a lot more to me. I come from the East Coast, so mafia is kind of a big deal over there. To you, when I say family business, you're thinking of a pizza place, but there's a lot more that goes on at that pizza place. Um, but listen, it's a family business. We're a part of God's family now. You know, it's, you know we're, we're, he's our father, he's a serving God, and so it's one of the evidences that we actually have been born again. Third, serving the Lord, and you know this, it's a privilege that we get to enjoy. It's, a, it's quite a privilege, right? Paul says this in a, in a beautiful way in 1 Corinthians 15, in an honest way. It says, for I am the least of the apostles and do not deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. You know, you just see his gratefulness there. 
right? He said, I cannot believe I get to serve God. I'm the one that was hurting the Christians. And instead of removing me from the earth, God chose to save me and to, and to still allow me to serve him. And he's blown away by that. And we forget what it feels like. Right? I, I, I can't forget what it feels like when I was on the phone after college at NYU, and I was just asking for advice of what to do next to serve the Lord. And, and as I'm talking to the assistant pastor, he says, well, well, what if we hire you on a staff and train you up in ministry? And I, I couldn't breathe. My heart stopped physically, and then it started pounding again. I'm like, well, what? but I didn't go to Bible college yet. <laughs> and he goes, well, we're going to train you. We'll, we'll, we'll teach you. And I could not believe they would allow me, they would allow me to serve, right? Let alone God would allow me to serve. And we need to forget, we never grow beyond that. We should never grow beyond that. I think like, oh, well, now it's pretty obvious why uh, God chose me to serve. No, we should never think that. We should always have our hearts stopping and saying, I can't believe the privilege. You know, George H.W. Bush uh, died this weekend, and so I, I was actually looking online to see, and I, and I found what I was looking for, all the people that were saying what a privilege it was to serve under him. Many don't know this, that 13 years before he became president, he was actually the um, director of central intelligence for just one year. The whole you know, CIA was, all, it was kind of a, a morale uh, killing kind of a moment before that, and he comes in and begins to, to boost everyone up and, and strengthen the department and really establish it, and he had a unique way of doing that since he was, you know, you know in Congress, and, and he's the only president that ever held this position, and 40 years later, they, you know, they've, they've named some facilities in Langley after him, and they issue this statement saying, we are honored to have had the privilege to serve under his leadership. It was 10 days short of a year and there's all these posts going online right now that just saying, here's the small connection that I've had to the former president. How much more us, right? How much more us? We get to serve the king of kings. We get to serve our great savior, the humble servant, right? We, we get to serve him. We can never forget that privilege, but sometimes we do. So I think Jesus tries to help us. You can turn with me to Luke 17. I think Jesus tries to help us with this mindset. Now, as I read you this parable, just, I think you need to hear the context or we're going to misunderstand what Jesus is saying. I don't believe this parable was given to show us how the Father looks at our service. I think Jesus is giving us this parable to show us how we should look at ourselves when it comes to service. There's plenty in the scriptures that, that uh, show what a, what a blessing and a joy it is um, you know, that God considers it, that we would serve him. But listen, listen, this is how we should think about ourselves. Luke 17, verse 7. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me until I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded of him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. That should be our mindset. We don't have to grovel in fear before our maker, but this is the healthiest mindset of serving that we can have where people are like, man, I can't believe you would serve like that. But like, well, yeah, yeah we're, just, we're just doing what we're supposed to do, right? We're a children of God, but we're also a part of a kingdom that there is a king. We're the servants. This is a short time in life that we get to serve the Lord and it's going to be a whole different unending season in heaven based on this life. And so 
we forget this privilege and we get grumpy and we get lazy. This happened to me as I was an intern. So just really quickly after my heart stopped and I was all excited to come on staff at Calvary Chapel Oldbridge in New Jersey. A few months later, we had just a prominent elder die suddenly and there was going to be a large memorial service. And so all the pastors were getting their assignments. And I'm sitting there as an intern being like, I wonder what I'm going to be able to do. I'm going to do So I'm last to be assigned. That should have showed me something. And and they look at me and I'm like, I wonder what I'm going to do. And they go, uh, we need you to go weed White Oak Lane. What? What? That's a public street. The government's supposed to do that. What? I'm like, really? What? Okay, why? Um, All right, yeah, sure. Trying to act like, of course, I'm a servant. So I go out there. This is the longest street. It's not our parking lot. It's like an overflow parking lot. I'm sitting there weeding on the curb and the street, getting rid of the the weeds. And I'm like, what? This took three hours. Why am I doing this? No one's going to get out of their car and say, oh, good, the public street has been weeded by the church. They really care about us. So I'm just sitting there like just bummed out and discouraged and doing it all grumpy. Thank God it was the longest street because it was only a few hours later towards the very end where I'm like, God, you're you're showing me something about my heart, aren't you? And he's like, yeah, my goodness, everyone else figured it out like halfway down the street, but you, you needed the whole street. And I was like, I don't know what I expected as an intern, three months on the job, like, hey, we'd like you to preach the message for the... uh, We forget this. We forget what a privilege it is. I get to be a part of this in some kind of a way. And fourth, and the last reason we're going to talk about about why we would be motivated to serve is that serving others is commanded and, and modeled by Jesus. It's expected by Jesus. I think we can see this expectation in John 15, when Jesus says, I'm the vine, you know, God's the, the vineyard keeper. Christians are the branches. And what are we supposed to do? We abide in the vine and then we are to bear fruit, right? God wants our lives to be fruitful. He doesn't want us just to be isolated and doing our own thing. We need to serve others like, like fruit would serve, you know, people that are hungry. We get to serve others and we can only ever do that if we're abiding in Jesus, And as we look to Jesus, we see he was full of grace and truth. He's the one that condescended down to serve us, right? For us, it's a step up to serve the Lord. We were in blindness and darkness before, and now our eyes are opened, and we step up to the ability to serve the Lord humbly. Jesus condescended down to serve us. Matthew 20, 28 says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And his whole life was, was given to ministry, and he modeled this in so many ways all throughout his life. And then especially we see this in John 13, where we're pur- purposely for an example for his disciples. He's looking around, and he knows they're all thinking the same thing. Where is this servant that's going to wash our feet? And yet none of them had enough love for each other to humble themselves and serve. And so, so Jesus does this, and he takes on the position of a servant, and he gets down, and it's confusing for them, but he's trying to show them this is ministry. It's based on love when you see a need. And so just a week and a half ago, I was able to, to kind of like li- live in this for a little bit, and it's because the stomach bug came to the Dean house, and it was merciless. It took out three people the first night, and one of those was my wife, um, so I, I was like, I have to help my two boys, a five-year-old and a two-year-old, get through this, because my wife looks like she's going to pass out, so I just, just stay in the room. I'll figure this out, and my stomach started feeling queasy. And every 15 minutes, I had the, ca- the boys out on the couch with towels everywhere. It was our only place with hardwood floors and didn't want the carpets, you know. And so every 15 minutes, one of the boys would wake up. I'd help them throw up. 
Then I'd get them back to sleep, go clean the bowl, get back just in time to help the other boy throw up. Thankfully, it was like a ping pong ball match where they were really one at a time, back and forth every 15 minutes. Instead of both of them, some Gideon, I was actually really proud of Gideon. I said, Gideon, you're doing it, man. You're in the bowl every time. Good job. He's like, all right, thanks, dad. I was like, you can watch TV tomorrow. You're doing great. Titus is like pushing the bowl away and aiming towards the Christmas tree. Like, Titus, no. What's wrong with you, you little two-year-old monster? And so, but the poor boy is hurting so bad and I feel like I'm going to throw up. And I just said, Lord, would you please, I don't think this is possible, but if you would allow me not to throw up, I promise I will use my energy to serve these precious kids tonight. I thought it was impossible. I thought it was just a good Christian thing to say because that stomach bug was happening, right? And the Lord chose to spare my daughter and myself and, and he gave me the grace to serve those two precious kids. But why did I do it? because I love him, a little two-year-old who doesn't even know what throwing up is, you know, and then he wants me to hold him because his whole body hurts, and he, he goes, I mean, I love him, I love them, so I want to serve them, but here's the problem, why, why don't I jump at that chance with other people when it's an even easier situation? It, it comes down to a lack of love, doesn't it, right? So when someone says, oh, I just need an airport ride at four in the morning, you're like, now why would you book it at four in the morning? <laughs> and you give the typical, yeah, great, well, I know you emailed the whole staff, so if, uh, if it's four in the morning and nobody said yes, feel free to call me, right? And that somehow that acts like we volunteered a little bit. Or your friend asks you to help move as they're moving homes and all they're offering is pizza. You're like, I'm supposed to, pizza, okay. I'm supposed to move your house with pizza. All right. Why don't I jump at that? It's a lack of love. That's what it is. The scriptures are so obvious that we are brothers and sisters and we are born into a family. That was actually a really big deal back in the day. The ancient Mediterranean family was so connected. The brother-sister relationship was actually a stronger relationship than husband and, and wife. And so when the scriptures call us to be brothers and sisters, that's why you see in Acts, people selling everything they have, giving to the apostles because they're like, well, yeah, there's people that have needs. My brothers, my new brothers and sisters have needs. And we would do that. Many of us would do that for our actual family, blood family, but we are, we are brought into a family that has needs and we must serve them like, like I was able to serve my children. So praise God, I was able to do that, but it also reminded me I need to love other people a bit more dramatically than I do if I'm really a part of this family. So Jesus had this grace of serving. We're being conformed into his image. And as they say, you've heard this before, the easiest way to know that you are a servant is how you react when people treat you like a servant, right? You want me to do what? <laughs> um, I mean, I'm glad to, but are you sure there's nothing with my skills you'd like me to do, right? No, so, so this is, these are four reasons why we would want to serve the Lord. Each of them, each of those verses are connected to grace, right? It's because of grace that we choose to serve the Lord. But how do we do it, right? How do we go about serving the Lord? Well, it's always by God's grace that we will serve him. And so for these four points that show us how to serve the Lord, the first, if you're taking notes, is grace provides the resources necessary to serve. Because we're sitting here thinking, that's great, but I'm not, you know, I didn't go to Bible college, I didn't do this or that, and so I haven't been trained, and I, I'm not really eloquent, and we start talking like Moses, who doesn't want to lead the people, and God's like, yeah, that's fine, but I'm, I'm going to help you, I made your tongue, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you, um, and we need to realize that God has already given us the resources necessary to serve, He's given us a deposit at our conversion so that we have no excuses, right? But instead, we have an ability now from God. 1 Peter 4.10 says it like this. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. 
So there's this, there's this variety of, of grace gifts that are, that are given, and we've received one of them. And so we need to be good stewards of that. We need to recognize that God would never call us to do something he doesn't equip us to do. And so just like Paul, at conversion, we're commissioned, but we're also given the ability to do this. So I can kind of dramatically think about this right now. I really, I really enjoy preaching, um, but two weeks before September 11th, I was in an, a New York University speech class. I had to give a five-minute speech, and I'm standing there in front of the camera. My knees are shaking. My heart is pounding, actual physical anxiety. I feel like I'm stuttering. I feel dyslexic. I'm making up words, and, and I feel like the whole world's looking at me, and so I take my note cards, and I throw them at the camera, and I say, I can't do this, and I storm out of the classroom. That was me in front of 20 people, Right? Two weeks later, after September 11th, Pastor Lloyd Poley had gathered a few hundred people at Union Square Park, and out of nowhere, with no warning, he says, I'm going to ask my friend Andy to come up here and share with you. I'm like, 300 people? So I walk up and I tell him, I go, yeah, I can't do that. And he whispers to me, he goes, do it. It's it's just pastoral encouragement, I guess, right? (laughs) He's not going to look dumb because of some punk kid. And so I'm standing there, same exact thing. My heart starts pounding, starts shaking. And then for the first time in my life, I felt the, the presence of the Holy Spirit just come upon me. I felt like a warmth and a peace, and I preached my first sermon on the power of prayer. There was a mocker in the crowd. I can still see him to the left. And I pointed at him, and I said, God is real. And I was like, who is this guy? Right? And I sit down, and my heart starts pounding again. I'm like, what was that? What was that? And I, and, I, but I, and I didn't know it at the time, but I think the Lord was beginning to give me that gift of teaching. That doesn't mean that it's something that you just have, and now you're a professional at all that. No. The first time years later that I was to give announcements at Calvary Chapel Old Bridge, I practiced for two hours for four minutes of announcements. You know how embarrassing that is? It's so lame that I did that. But I had to because that's how nervous and embarrassed I was at that moment, Right? And so the, the Lord gives us something, and then we can develop it and use it. And, and we see seven gifts in Romans 12 that are given. Romans 12, 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. We need to use the gift is the emphasis of this passage. Now, just yesterday, my, my boy, my five or four-year-old boy is turning five tomorrow. We're having a ninja party tonight. It's going to be amazing. Yesterday, we had a family party and we're videotaping him open up a gift that my sister from Pennsylvania uh, wants to see his reaction. He opens the gift and begins to scream repeatedly, it's the gift I wanted, it's the gift I wanted, screaming it so loud. Literally, uh, what wasn't that long afterwards, I've already finished all the paperwork, filling it out for America's Funniest Home Videos. There's like, there's lawyer things you have to sign. I filled it all out because I'm like, this is gonna, I mean, I spent all night taking care of that throw up. I need $10,000 for this. He's got to pay me somehow, not just I love him, right? And so I've already filled out the paperwork. That's how hilarious it was. But at the very end, and then unfortunately at the very end, he, they're like, well, thank, thank you, you know, thank your aunt. And he goes, I forgot their names. I'm like, oh, come on, Gideon. Gideon. But then at the very end of the video, he says this. It's on my Instagram. He says, can we play it right now? 
right? He wanted to use the gift immediately, right? And that's, that's what brings the gift giver so much joy, isn't like, oh, cool, thanks, and then you re-gift it at a white elephant party sometime. It's when you use the gift. We've played this dumb game about a fox with like his pants dropping down and chickens being put, it's, it's weird, but it's all over commercials. Some of you might know uh, what it is, but it's, it's a great preschool game. It's really funny. It's odd, but we play it all the time, all yesterday, and you know they're playing it again today. We need to use the gifts. Think of it. If God has given you a gift and then you never use it because of excuses, you're missing out right? You're missing out on using a gift from God. He's the good gift giver, right? Every good and perfect gift comes from above. And so if we want any sort of satisfaction in life, we must use the gifts that God has given us. And all those gifts are designed not for selfish consumption, but to be poured out to the body of Christ or to a needing world, right? So serving gifts like the ones we talked about in Romans 12, they're distributed across the church and they're proof that God loves you. And so when you are ministered to by other people in the church, right, one of the thoughts you have isn't, oh, how nice that person is, but you're like, oh, God, you sent somebody just when I needed you to send them, and you feel love. And as you choose to use the gift that God gave you to minister to other people in the body of Christ, it's an expression how God loves them. You get to extend God's love practically to other people. That's pretty cool, right? And so we get to do this. We're empowered to do it um, by being given gifts. Second, how do we go about doing this? Well, grace empowers believers to work hard because serving the Lord is hard, right? It's difficult. I couldn't believe talking to Rob Nash last night in his home, how early he got up to, to start doing ministry. And I was like, why are you talking to me right now? You should go to bed, right? But he's got the gift of hospitality and, and ministry. I was like, man, you're, you're, this is hard work, right? Um, and so it, we're empowered to work hard. First Corinthians 15, Paul says it like this, and his grace to me was not without effect, No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me, right? So Paul's expressing the human part of it, right? He's like, I worked so hard because I can't believe God, you know, the privilege of me being able to serve God. But then theologically, he makes sure that we all know the only reason I could even think I was working hard was because God's grace was with me to work hard. He says the same thing after his first missionary journey was successful in Acts 14, it says, and they sailed to Antioch, that's where they were sent from, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had now completed. And when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, right? And they're able to report it. So Paul's not like, hey, look at what I did. He's like, look what God did. And yet he's there making the decisions practically to work hard and serve God. So just a week and a half ago or so, I was walking home from the Bible college. It's, it's really not the most difficult job. It can be emotional and thoughtful at times, but I'm, I'm pretty sure construction work is harder than it, right? But, but I'm, working, I'm walking home, and I'm saying, Lord, I think the last few days I've gone home, and I've just, like, been, the, the recliner's been a magnet, and I just want to sit and relax. And my wife is kind, so she's letting me do that, but... But I'm like, the kids want to play with me. And I'm like, yeah, bring the game over to the recliner and we'll play over here. And I was like, I'm kind of becoming that typical husband that everyone makes fun of. So, so Lord, give me the grace to specifically do the dishes for Shannon, play with the kids like I'm young and, and really just serve my family tonight. Right? And he did. I got home and I, I felt like I had plenty of energy, just a new mindset. I did the dishes. I'm playing with the kids. I'm pretty sure that was the night the stomach bug came to the house. So I would recommend praying that prayer if I were you. Um, <laughs> But God then 
gave even more grace, abounding grace, even more than I wanted, right, uh, to be able to serve. He did that. And so grace empowers believers to work hard, and ministry is hard work, but by God's grace, we can do it. Third, how do we go about doing this? Grace means that God is going to help us serve when it's really difficult. When it's really difficult, you know, there's difficulties, discouragements, and, and disillusionment at time as we serve God in ministry. And I've just been thinking specifically of, you know, Matt With and Aaron Sabio and, and the, the youth ministry. And I was like, God, give them the grace to serve you. Because as I look around yesterday at the service, I just see young kids crying. I see, I see the youth crying, and they're just not used to this. And, and, and so give them the grace to serve you in this difficult season. And so many in this church need God's grace in this difficult season to keep serving. And we're given a promise by God. First Timothy 1.12 says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. We could recognize that if we realize, okay, I've been called to ministry. I should have a lifestyle of ministry. God has put me into the ministry, so he's going to enable me on the easy days and on the hard days to serve him well. It wouldn't be grace if we could only serve him on the easy days, right? But God's grace, we discover when we have nothing, he can be everything that we need. So there's, a, there's an old Baptist preacher from the early 1900s, um, Dr. Chester E. Swore, who illustrated this well. He had a, a woman in his church who became bedridden. Before that, she taught the largest Sunday school class in the church. She sang on the worship team. It said worship choir in the story, but I thought that sounded old, so I said worship team. And she was so active, right? But she contracts an incurable illness, and she is confined to her bed for the rest of her life until she went to be with the Lord. Now, she could have complained and said, my days of serving are over, but with new courage, she said, I'm going to find new ways to serve God in my bed. And she became a most powerful witness of God's grace. During one week alone, she telephoned 150 people in the church and said, you need to be at this meeting. Pastor's begging us to go to this meeting. You need to be there. I would be there if I could be there. And they showed up. She invited young women to come and sit by her bed so she could share the gospel with them. Over the course of the months, seven of them gave their lives to Jesus for the very first time. Five other ones made a commitment to serve the Lord with their lives because they're like, well, I can be out of bed. I should be serving the Lord. And she was given the grace to serve God mightily. They say that she did way more restricted to her bed than she ever did when she was able to move around. And so we serve no matter where we are, no matter what condition we are in, we will serve the Lord. One of the Bible college students illustrated this to me. When, you know, I, I've taken a missions trip to Haiti, and I'll tell you what, that is the single hottest place on the planet. All day long, you just sweat and, and think, I'm going to die. This is so hot. Okay, but the sun's going to go down. And then at night, because the ground is all supercharged with heat, all night long, it bakes you from underneath, and you sweat. I couldn't sleep. It's 4.30 in the morning. I'm like, God, this is only day one. I'm not going to make it. And by God's grace, I fall asleep. One minute later, the roosters wake up. I'm like, I have six days left. How am I? I'm the leader. I can't survive like this, right? So I, I survive. This girl at the Bible college starts talking like, I'm called to full-time missionary work in Haiti. And I'm supposed to say things like, yes, you are. But I was like, why? No. <laughs> and, but what did she say? She didn't talk about the weather or the heat at all. What did she say? She described two orphans that she couldn't get out of her mind. And she said, I want to serve them and all the orphans I can for the rest of my life. This is a couple years ago. She just got engaged to a, a local Haitian Christian. So, and they're going to be together forever in Haiti serving the Lord. But you know what? The, the weather doesn't matter so much when there's someone you love right in front of you. 
So the first Corinthians 15 says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing your labor is not in vain. And so even in the difficult seasons, God's grace will get us through. And then the final reason we'll talk about for how to serve God by his grace is that grace reminds us that Jesus is still serving today. He just wants to do that through each of us. Right? But Jesus is still serving today. We get this from Galatians 2.20 and many scriptures. But Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And the secret of serving is, is, is in that phrase, being crucified with Christ. It's in the perfect tense, emphasizing a past event that has continuing effects in our lives. And just like we were crucified with Christ in that way, he's alive in us in the same exact way. And so he came into our hearts at, at salvation, and he is alive today. And guess what he wants to do through each of us? Just think about you. What does he want to do? If, if Jesus was sitting in your chair instead of you, he would look around the room, and find the hurting person, and he would bring the Father's love to them. You can do that, right? And it'll be Jesus serving through you, so there's no pressure. He's going he's to do it all, right? So remember, Jesus, just the theology of this, is that, that he has forever restricted himself to be the God-man. When you get to heaven, the Father's not going to be the grandfather-looking version of Jesus. The Father will not ever have a human form. The Spirit will not ever have a human form. Jesus is the one we're actually going to be able to hug, because he has forever restricted himself to be the God-man, right? And so he's at the right hand of the Father now, but he said, it's good for me to go away so that I could send the Comforter. And now through the Holy Spirit, he dwells in each of our hearts. He's multiplied himself across the world and millions of people can look around when we have those moments of being led by the Spirit and the right perspective. We can say, Jesus, what do you want to do with my words, my resources, my hands, and my feet right now? And now Jesus is doing ministry all over the world, and we get to be a part of it. That can be victorious service in Christ. We just need to be, as we sang earlier, grateful and willing vessels. We can just say, well, you can, you can use me today. And that's us choosing not to be distracted, to be mindful of Christ, to be prayerful. And then all of a sudden, we discovered the divine appointment that was set aside for us. And so after saving grace comes serving grace, and we have it. We already have it. We can, we can deny it. We can, we can suppress it, but we've been given a gift. We've got all the reasons in the world of, of why we should do this, and we've been equipped how to do it. And so we just need to ask ourselves, how did God equip us, right? How did God equip you? What spiritual gift did he give you? You might not discover that until you start serving, Right? What abilities did he give you? Some talents and skills you know, in the workforce did he give you? What resources did he give you? Right? We have to ask that. What desires? Do you have a compassion in your heart for a certain group of people that are underprivileged or hurting that other people just don't seem to have as much of a burden as you? Right? How is he equipping you to serve? And where is he asking you to serve? Is it at Calvary Vista? At home? Is it in your neighborhood? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, he's asking us to serve in those places, and we are going to find such joy if we yield to that and allow ourselves to be willing vessels. It's joy. It's not a guilt trip. It's joy. We're going to find more joy. How many of us have tried to live life our own way and just found that wanting? Like, yeah, that's not good. When I live for me, it's just, it's like, you know, like the third day of a cruise ship when you're like, I shouldn't eat any more food, (laughs) but it's free, right? You're like, that's actually not as satisfying as a missions trip or as, as serving the children in the church, right? It's, just, it's actually not as satisfying long-term to, you know, to feel bloated and gluttonous versus to see a need being met. 
The greatest joy you'll have is, the, is fulfilling the personal ministry that the Holy Spirit gives you, even above official ministry that you're a part of, you looking for a need. So let's ask God to help us to do that. Father, we, we want to have great joy in our life, um, and you've saved us by grace, and we can serve you only by grace, and you've equipped us to do that. And so would you help us just to to look at our lives and, and see if we've been suppressing those gifts and those opportunities and saying, well, I'll leave that to the professionals. I'll leave that to the, to the church staff. And, and Lord, would you just remind us, Lord, every single person in every chair here is called to serve you in a special way. And, and some of those ways are way more important than even the pastoral ministry that goes on officially at this church. Lord, we just need to be faithful with the little things in front of us, not worry about anything else. And so help us to be faithful servants, Lord. We thank you so much for all you've done in our lives. And it is quite a privilege to be able to serve you because you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we are so, so thankful, Lord. So help us to respond with all that thanksgiving. So we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.